Welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Marissa Martinelli, and today we're spoiling After, starring Josephine Langford as Tessa Young, an innocent young college freshman who falls for bad boy Hardin Scott, played by Hero Finds Tiffin. The movie is directed by Jenny Gage, making her feature film debut, and is based on the fanfic-turned-best-selling novel by Anna Todd. Joining me in the studio, we have Slate editorial assistant Rachel Hampton. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Marissa. And by Slate podcast producer Daniel Schrader. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Marissa. So for about three quarters of this movie, I thought, huh, this is kind of a strange choice for a spoiler special because very little happens in the way of plot. What are you talking about? But then (laughs) there's a twist. So we will dig into (gasps) all of that. But first, Daniel, I want to start with you because you actually read the novel after that this is based on. Okay. Read is a strong word. Um, I downloaded the audiobook. And decided to listen to it because... um, You're a sucker for punishment. Exactly. Uh, And it was the most boring thing I've ever listened to. Really? It was very dull. At one point I was listening to it at three times the normal speed and still was not interested. So this originally started not as a book but as a fan fiction published in many, many short chapters on Wattpad. Uh, as someone who has... A fan fiction I was not aware of um, until after you told me about it. I mean, you were really into One Direction, so it makes sense. Who? Exactly. It's a One Direction fanfic. The original story has characters named Harry Styles and Zayn and Liam and all of those names Wait, who were... Nile? Does it have Nile? Who? I don't believe it has Nile. I believe it is very Nile Harry erasure. and Zayn-centric. Wait, who is Zayn in the movie? The brother. The brother? <laughs> I'm kidding. The no, bl- that's that's Liam, I believe. We're getting too far afield. We're Nobody getting into cares. the One Direction weeds here. <laughs> Wait, I was watching the entire movie, and the entire time I was like, are there any other One Direction adjacent members in this movie? Like, who is the like who's the corollary here? But you just told me, so now I know. So this is a very common genre of fan fiction where authors will take real-life celebrities and give them... Uh, personas within the narrative that have very little to do with their actual real life personas. So Harry Styles in the fan fiction is this bad boy who goes to this college and his father's a drunk and uh, really the only thing he has in common with the actual Harry Styles is that they're both British. Yeah. And also like their looks is pretty much the only like in the fanfic world. This is called a dark fic. Um, what? So, yeah. Where are we? I, <laughs> tell, us, tell us what a dark fic is, Rachel. So a dark fic is exactly what it sounds like. If you watch Riverdale, it's what happens to Betty when she goes dark. But basically, they're, it's like a bad boy adjacent genre fanfic where they take this kind of clean cut cookie cutter person and then turn them into what amounts to like a punk like they have like a dark history they're kind of edgy they're rude and mean but not to the protagonist and so they end up like revealing their true selves to whoever the protagonist is because they fix them it's it's very contrived i think it's safe to say also that there's an element of escapism and that 
often the protagonist is more or less a stand-in for the author. Is mm-hmm. that fair? Am I yeah. being unfair yeah. to fanfic mm-hmm. authors? Um, send me hate mail if you don't send me hate mail. But oh, if we that's all not know fair, self-insert. Um, right, self-insert. But these are also tropes that go beyond fan fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I think it cannot be understated how much this movie and book and fan fiction owe to titles like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey to the point where, I mean, I'm a big Fifty Shades of Grey defender, at least when it comes to the movies. We know. Uh, <laughs> I'm on brand here. But I could not stop thinking about it to the point where it's almost a distraction mm-hmm. that the original book used the names Harry Styles because it really should be Edward Cullen or Christian Grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will dive into that. So, the movie opens with Tessa Young, whose name has actually led me to mistake the title of this movie after with the title of another movie, She's Too Young. Is anyone, <laughs> is anyone familiar with She's Too Young? No. Okay. Very briefly, She's Too Young is a sort of made-for-TV movie uh, with a kind of similar premise, even though it's a pretty general premise to begin with, which is innocent, young woman, uh, she's a virgin, she never had sex, uh, falls for this bad boy who is sexually adventurous, and her mom freaks and broadly speaking, that's the same. Wait, are you describing the movie we just saw? <laughs> uh, the difference is that She's Too Young is about a 14-year-old, and it was shown to me in health class in high school <gasps> um, because she gets an STD. In fact, the whole school has a syphilis outbreak. This is a long-winded way of saying, wow. if I say, if I call this movie She's Too Young by accident, that is why. After has a very similar premise. Wow. Innocent Except young woman. No one gets an STD. No one. It's not stated that we know of. That we know of gets an STD. But uh, we have Tessa Young. She is starting college. Mm. It is geographically very clear where we are in this movie. Yeah, of course it is. No, it's actually not. But um, it was very jarring because it was filmed at my college. I was sitting there in the theater and as they were pulling into like the uh, gates of the entrance to the university, I was like, wait, no, that is where I went to school. What's happening? I feel like y'all had punked me. Very like, importantly, though, in Georgia. Yes, it's it's set in Georgia. But like, it's also very unclear where she lives in relation to them because it felt like maybe it was set in Alabama. Alabama, but then they decided to switch it back to Georgia. Who knows? There's the Georgia skyline. Anyway. There are um, a lot of shots of Georgia. This is Georgia. And then when the movie ended, it was it had the big Georgia peach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Georgia the tax loves a tax break. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really weird to just like see it filmed at the place that I went to school because I was like, oh, that's my quad. Oh, I've been in that uh, library before. I mean, I feel like it only added to how surreal the entire fucking movie was, which was entirely surreal. I feel like anyone who has gone to a college would look at this movie and be like, that's not how college works. I agree, though, that this movie has what I've come to think of as 13 Reasons Why Syndrome, mm-hmm. where it takes adolescent ideas about certain concepts and it takes them seriously, which on one hand is great, but it doesn't apply any kind of filter of reality to that perspective. So like all of the so-called bad kids are like sophomores in college, head to toe tattoos, out at bars drinking. There's a random townie 
who rolls with them. Who was he? Townies don't know. That's what? It didn't make any sense to me. Like I love that also that Townie was a tattoo artist and was just giving people tattoos And was clearly free. 10 years older than these people. Yeah. Like, no one really seemed to examine that the Townie was not. Hair. Yeah, I was like, this man is too old to be hanging around with a bunch of 19-year-olds. Uh-huh. It was... Call the police. Kind of, but also, I was in describing this movie to people afterwards because I could not go three days without talking about how dumb this movie was. I was like, so yeah, there's a game of spin the bottle or truth or dare or whatever. And they're like, this takes place in college. I literally never did that in college. No one does that in college. And I'm like, I know. It's a game of truth or dare because that is like one of the most important plot points. That is indeed what gives us the entire twist. So Tessa's so. introduced to this so-called bad crowd by her roommate who is just as soon as she and her mom and her boyfriend her little high school boyfriend who i did not know was not her brother until they kissed at which point i was like are we in a weird game of thrones movie like what's happening (laughs) well the roommate makes the same mistake because the two have basically no chemistry um but just as soon as they all walk into the room you know, her roommate. The large room. That was a very large freshman dorm room. Anyway, um, so they walk in and they meet the roommate who seems to be like hanging out with this girl who you don't know if like they're friends, if they're hooking up. What is their deal? Um, they seem a bit intimate. And so it's like, oh, no, this is this is the bad crowd. She has dyed hair and she wears fishnets. Well, in fairness, she's also vaping and immediately in front of Tessa's mom is like, we can get you a fake. There will be drinking. She has no filter. Um, But Tessa is, of course, very buttoned up. Very this actually the actress Josephine Langford I recently found out is related to Catherine Langford of the Thirteen Reasons Why. Uh, She plays the part well. I really think this movie is not outstanding for its performances, but credit where credit is due, she does what she needs to do. I cannot say the same for the male lead in this movie. Hero. Hero finds Tiffin as Harden Scott. He is the nephew of uh, Ray Fines and Joseph Fines, and I do not think he inherited their oh no acting talents. He, he looks dead behind the eyes. The lights are on, but nobody's home. <laughs> there's some. There's some really pretty lights too. Right, right. He's very good looking at times, in a specific way. But this is where we get to the point where I think that he is not as attractive as they want us to think he is because of the way they filmed this movie. There was never a shot that was just a full-on, straight, shirtless torso and chest uh, image, which is just like the thirst image you expect to see. Like That's one of the hooks of any type of teen heartthrob movie, I feel like, is I will get to see the lead with his clothes off and it will be hot. And yet like in this, the way that they always filmed it, it was always just like, oh, it's his backside. Or you just see like the bottom of his stomach or just like his chest, but no nipple. And it was like, it it really felt like they (laughs) were- Free the nipple! (laughs) They were angling the camera in such a way that like the suggestion of a more attractive body was there than was actually there. Do you you see what I mean? I understand that in terms of this movie also missed a big... Here's the thing. This movie has a, owes a lot to Fifty Shades of Grey and to Twilight, but it seems to fundamentally misunderstand what makes those so appealing. One aspect is the wealth porn. So mm. Hardin comes from money, 
but all of the shots of the interior of his house and then later in the movie there's a wedding the camera never lingers so you don't really get that sense of opulence that you want so i can see that being similar when it comes to shots of Hardin's body I will say, yeah, that reminds me of the most attractive scene in the entire movie, which is when they go into that uh, professor's apartment that's gone, where she's gone to Italy for a year, and it's just full of, like, light and plants, and I was like, oh, I can get into this movie now. This is nice. And then they didn't do anything. Well, and then they went to, like, Hardin's parents' house, and it just reminded me of, like, the Kim Kardashian empty mansion thing, Mm -hmm. where it's like, there is nothing here except for, like, a shattered vase or something, but all of the surfaces are spotless in, like, a way that feels antiseptic. Much like Harden himself. Okay. Let's talk about Harden, okay? So Harden Scott, otherwise known as Harry Styles. So how did we meet Harden in the movie? Oh, oh my God. Okay, so um, Tessa is a, you know, sweet, non-promiscuous child and has never been touched, apparently, and has done only the most chaste of kisses, which means that you're basically half a person, according to this movie. So she is coming out of the shower. Her roommate has been trying to convince her to go out for what seems like two weeks, but it's probably three days. And she comes back into her room. Her clothes have somehow gotten wet in the shower. Which they is fell a, off the hook. Yeah, it was like a contrived plot point. Her clothes have fallen off the hook and gotten wet, so she has to walk back to her room in her towel, which, the horror, I've never done that before. And she walks in, and there's a man on her roommate's bed, reading one of Tessa's books, which happens to be Wuthering Heights, or is it Great Gatsby? It's the Great Gatsby. It's the Great Gatsby. And Tessa's Wuthering like, Heights is later. <laughs> and Tessa's like, what are you doing in here? Get out. Let me change, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, oh, don't flatter yourself, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, just so flustered. And the scene ends when he's like, Great Gatsby, good book. And then he leaves. Well, he crucially says, oh. and this was a very silly line until we get later in the movie, and you're like, oh, foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> he says, oh, it was all a dream. And she says, actually, it was all a lie. And at the time, I was like, who wrote this dialogue? But then later in the movie, I was like, oh, clues, <laughs> clues. But also, who wrote this dialogue? It was it, much like Fifty Shades of Grey and also Twilight relied a lot on very... Um, dumb literary references of books that everyone read in high school as if they are somehow like the center point of everyone's talking points once they graduate. I'm like, why is every YA novel adjacent thing obsessed with Wuthering Heights? It it was good, but also not a relationship you want to emulate. I think part of the point, though, is that a movie like this one, the core relationship is modeled on those ideas of a combative Mm. brooding bad boy and uh, an innocent which you could argue and probably should argue and i'll argue right now is very outdated for a movie coming out in 2019 well and i i don't know this makes me think of like okay so if this was in some way not that this is like based on wuthering heights uh but if like these are the touchstones for it it makes sense from like a oh if this movie is for teens then this is these are the books that they're encountering, so of course they're going to play their audience. But also, like this is just from the source material. Like she uses references to these books in the book. So does I don't she know. Really? Yeah, of course. Oh no. Mm-hmm. So Steph does convince Tessa to finally go to a party where they are playing Truth or Dare, outdated or not. And we, the first question that Tessa gets asked is the craziest place that she's ever had sex. But of course, she's never had sex. 
I, to me, everyone in this movie acts like it's crazy that this 18-year-old has never had sex. But that can't be too out of line with the national average. I mean, I had sex for the first time at like 23. So, like, I think it's really wild to just assume, oh, you're a child and you haven't fucked someone yet? Wow. Honestly, controversial opinion. The less teens that have sex, the better. Fewer. Fewer, fewer, lesser, whatever. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. But at least in in Fifty Shades of Grey, Anna is graduating college. And so there's at least the she's she's 22 or something. And the idea that she's a virgin who's never been kissed is at least a little bit more in line with someone legitimately being surprised. But I mean, Tessa's a baby. She's 18. And for all of these other 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and this random townie who hangs out with them for some reason <laughs> 30. to be shocked by this, it just it it doesn't make sense. Well, and here's where I say, as soon as we find out that she and her boyfriend had been dating for two years and they had not done anything but kissed, I was like, oh, so your boyfriend's gay. Cool. Or, cool, cool, or cool. in a much smarter and more interesting movie, Tessa is gay. And she has this illicit romance with her roommate, Steph, who seems to be trying to open her up her boundaries and bring her into the world. Something that there there is a scene where Steph and her girlfriend basically have sex in the same room while Tessa is there. And that is just an example of the debauchery of college rather than like a sexual awakening for Tessa. Yeah. So um, anyway, back to the party. They are playing truth or dare. She gets asked that question, and then uh, she's like, "You know what? Dare." So they dare her to make out with Harden, and so Harden gets up off the couch and is kind of like looming over her, coming in close, getting ready to kiss her. Um, but also, I would like to say that during this part in the movie, Daniel very audibly was like enamored. He was just like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> Were you flustered? There was a lot of laughter because we all saw this movie together in the same theater with the general public. There was a lot of laughter at everything, at scenes that were supposed to be serious, at scenes that were... There was very little actual humor in this movie, yeah, but... I think everything we laughed at was entirely earnest. I, I mean, I, I remember my first laugh, which was when she walked out in the most dowdy skirt I've ever seen that looked like it belonged on a high school Baptist girl. Um, but anyway... Maybe she is a high school Baptist girl. I mean, good for her, but also step up your fashion game in college, really. <laughs> Uh, she doesn't want to kiss Harden. So, yeah, she doesn't want to kiss Harden. So she's like, you know what? I quit. I'm not going to play this game. And she storms off. She said it just like that, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she storms off. And we've seen, like, one of the girls that Harden was kind of, like, all over uh, was just filming this scene. And so uh, on she's her phone. She on was her filming phone it. filming it to, like, see if they could get this embarrassing moment of her on screen. And then she storms off and ends up, like, wandering around the house and ends up in Harden's room. And uh, but she doesn't know it's Harden's room. She just knows it's some interesting guy who's with a British flags room who seems to have like <laughs> interesting books on his shelf, like Wuthering Heights and Pride and Prejudice. And so she pulls Wuthering Heights off of the shelf and sees in it all of the post-its that he's like left in it of like all the interesting notes that he has taken. And he walks in and is like, what are you doing in my room? And then I thought he was going to murder her, which would have been a lot more interesting. Sign me up. Yeah, for a, a lot of this movie, there were horror movie moments. There's one scene where they go into the woods together, just the two of them. And I was like, well, this like, is about to take a dark turn. turn. Serial killer movie, but it did not. 
which was disappointing, to be quite frank. So they're in his room, and she's like, you read literature? And he's like, I don't believe in love or some he bullshit. He straight up quotes oh my God, Wuthering yeah, Heights right. yeah. to her. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, that's Wuthering Heights. And she's like, I know. The next time they see each other is in a lecture mm-hmm. in what must be the most lax and strange college in the entire country where uh, Tessa is with her. She made a friend. They're both kind of dorky. His name is Landon. They show up at class before the door is even unlocked. Oh, little nerds. Um, so they're in an English seminar and we find out that Tessa is an econ major, even though she has this love of literature and her friend Landon is an English major, so there's kind of a shared interest there. But into this lecture walks Hardin Scott. And wow. he sits down, and the professor, who we will later learn is the worst professor at the most lax college in the country, uh, is talking about <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and asks for people's initial opinions. And Hardin says, Elizabeth Bennett needs to chill. Now, this was clearly intended to provoke... Tessa, but I actually was so interested in the scene that I went into the original Harry Styles fanfic. Of course you did. To find it. And I would like to say Anna Todd did not deserve that. Because in her fanfiction, Harry, who is Hardin, <laughs> says that Elizabeth Bennett should have told Darcy to fuck off. Oh. Okay. Harry Styles is the original feminist. <laughs> <laughs> In this movie, Hot take. A, a bad boy feminist, changed the message. Now, I have not read the whole fanfic, and it is entirely possible that the character is all over the place and not consistently one way or the other, but that was such an interesting change that they made to me Wow! that I felt we should give Anna Todd her due. You know, shout out to Anna Todd for letting us all know that Elizabeth Bennett did not actually need to chill and that Mr. Darcy was kind of needed to fuck off. And I'm not entirely surprised they wanted to change that because they're like you know what we need to have them argue in class and clearly tessa's gonna have the opposite view so we're gonna make Harden a little bit of a chauvinist who doesn't believe in love despite reading all of these romance novels from like the 19th century it's not that he doesn't believe in love even though the movie outright has tessa say that and it's because no one in this movie is paying attention to the dialogue <laughs> it, there's almost an absurdist quality to this movie where the lines of dialogue They kind of make sense, but if you're paying attention, they're not really answering each other. It's like they're reading two different cuts of the scene, and then they slice them together. Yeah, either you grab two separate scripts, or like one of them is the script, and then one of them is just like a text generator. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably Hardin's dialogue, but Hardin Hardin explains his theory of love, which is not that it doesn't exist, but that it's transactional, right? You present a set of desires, and then it's like you're... It's biological. Sure. It's it's that idea that like there's something to get out of love, which the movie doesn't really meaningfully explore. No. However, inevitably, the two of them then set off on their love journey. Uh, Hardin <laughs> specifically wants to take Tessa to see his special place. Well, but before we get to, before we get to the special place, okay. I do want to address <laughs> that um, conveniently, the boy that she's befriended, Landon, who she sits next to and becomes fast friends with, turns out he is al- about to be stepbrothers with um, Hardin. So he knows him so well. Like, what a convenient thing! I happen to sit down next to the one man who knows so much about the man that I'm definitely not in love with, but also I'm in love with. 
he's also there to Im- provide important clarifications, such as Harden's complicated. Yeah. Oh, exactly. He's just like just setting up, and he's just there to set up the premise. So anyway, I do enjoy that in terms of the uh, black friend that is there for exposition. They chose a man instead of a woman this time. So progress. I don't know that that was progress to me. That felt felt very of a kind of this movie where she has no friends, Mm -hmm. like no female friends, except for her roommate, who turns out to be kind of a traitor. Well, that was the other thing is like when it comes to college, at least for me, like you shed your beginning friends so quickly and she just never seemed to make any friends. She never had like a thing to do that she was interested in. There was no like other school activity that she wanted to try out. She just it seemed like she went to college thinking college was just classes. And so we never got any other interior life from her besides being obsessed with Harden. And that was weird to me because, like, that's not anyone's college experience. Like, you know what I mean? She also had basically, presumably, no friends back home. Just her milquetoast boyfriend who she calls on the phone from a party and he's like, are you drinking? That was hilarious. Yeah. So... He comes and picks her up uh, and is like, "Let come with me to the, I have a secret place to show you. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm the one who tried to bring yeah. us to the secret okay. place. But <laughs> the two of them do, after they have their little classroom confrontation, they see each other in a coffee shop, which I only mentioned because Hardin drinks black coffee because all bad boys are lactose intolerant. And every movie that is the way to communicate that this person is dark and twisted because they don't put milk or sugar in their coffee. Honestly relatable. My lactose intolerant king. Every coffee should have milk in it. Um, Anyway, so they meet at the um, coffee shop, shop, and then he is like, let me me take you to somewhere. Where? It's a secret place. You're going to get murdered. If only, like... And at first she's like, no, I don't think that's smart. I have a boyfriend. And he's like, fine, like we can just be friends. And then he walks away and she's like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go with him. And I'm like, this is out of character. Like this character development makes no sense. One thing that they did in the coffee shop is she says, I think we should keep our distance. And Hardin takes two steps back, which is one of the only lighthearted moments that Hardin gets in the whole movie. And that's why I feel obligated to mention it. Uh, but it also made me think of another movie that just recently came out, Five Feet Apart, uh, in which the characters physically have to keep their distance and because they have cystic fibrosis and they could seriously harm each other if they get close to each other. And this movie, I, it struck me at that moment that this movie doesn't have any external drama. It is purely the relationship. I mean, even Twilight, God knows Twilight has a lot of external drama because they're vampires and politics and all sorts of things. And Fifty Shades has at least a bad guy who pops in or a stalker or whatever it is you can call the plot of Fifty Shades. But there is something else going on. Well, that's the second and third book. The first book didn't really have external plot at all. For Fifty Shades of Grey, at least. They just met and she was like BDSM, and he was like, "Yeah." Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, when when Harden Beautiful says, summary. "I want to take you to, I want to show you something. It's a place." I was like, "Okay, Red Room of Pain." No, time. Was like, no, I was like, "This is going to be interesting," and it's just a fucking lake. And according to Daniel, there are no oh, yeah. natural lakes in Georgia, and yeah. so it was a man-made lake, which means it was probably disgusting because there's no real water flow. All lakes in Georgia are so gross, and so it was just wild to me that they just got to this place that's a secret place, but also like there's a dock built here, so clearly someone comes out here. Harden built like, it. 
Oh, did he? Yes. Wow. So, yeah, he did looks he? so he good. He has no hobbies he, that we really know of. His hobby is dog building. His hobby is getting bad tattoos. The tat? Can we just? Sorry, as someone who has a tattoo, I think the only person in this room who has a tattoo. Bragging. Um. Anyway, so the tattoos looked so fake. It was actually laughable. Anytime they zoomed in on one, I was like, he has this like tree on his chest or his abs or whatever, and I was like, this is a stuck-on fake tattoo. How low is the budget for this movie that you could not even get an actually good tattoo? Like, this is, it's the worst rendering of fake tattoos I've ever seen that is intended to be, he could he could have just worn one of those fake sleeves with tattoos and it would have been better. Are you saying that Jace the Townie is not a good tattoo artist? <laughs> Apparently not, because he's doing fake tattoos out here. It's just henna. It's just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> At the lake, we do get this scene that recurs throughout the movie, oh which is him taking his shirt off and her wearing a Ramones t-shirt. All he seems to own a Ramones t-shirt. That's because Harry Styles loves the Ramones. Oh my god! Of course he does. Fuck off! Literally every single reference to Harden's personality is a remnant of Harry Styles, and I know this as a someone who was obsessed with One Direction. Like the Ramones t-shirt, the tattoos, like literally every single part of that is, except for the books. I don't know if Harry reads literature, like. <laughs> No, that's not a drag. I just Harry, don't know. if you're listening, please <laughs> give us a call. <laughs> Harry Styles, let me know. Uh, well, that's actually interesting you say that because I was kind of wondering what this movie has to do with One Direction. Really, as someone who's not a big One Direction fan, there is one line where Harden says. You have no idea how beautiful you are. And I was like, oh, that's that song. You that One Direction scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I love that song. I'm interested that they kept that little detail about the Ramones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Harry Styles famously has like a Ramones t-shirt. If I remember correctly from my time in One Direction Tumblr, that is a um, a keystone that people always mention where they're like, he lends you his Ramones t-shirt and it means you're going steady. So I do think that's a holdover from... Did he just, like, buy it at Hot Topic? I mean, I think it... Maybe? It may be vintage. Who knows? It's only special because Harry Styles owns it. But so so he takes off his shirt, and he's like, I'm going to jump in this dirty lake. And so he jumps in the lake, and she's like, I'm not going to join you. And he's like, fine, you can wear my T-shirt. So she makes him turn around in the water. I think he, like, turns around and peeks or whatever. He does. Yeah. And then she puts a t-shirt on, and he's, like, looking at her, and she's like, what are you looking at? And he's like, I like it better on you. And I think I slid down into my seat in the movie watching this because that line is quite literally in every single fanfic that I think I've ever read in my entire life, where it's like, I like my clothes better on you. And I was like, this is, like the worst parts of my life that I wanted to cut off, but it's on screen and people are watching it. Like, someone did this. Immediately after this, when Tessa gets in the water, Hardin again, because Hardin only has very few lines that have been reshuffled and recycled, (laughs) says, I want to show you something. And they both go underwater for an extended amount of time. (laughs) And you're laughing just like everyone in the theater did. Because when they resurface, (laughs) I'm going to give you a moment to compose yourselves. (laughs) Deep breath. Because when they resurface, he says, silence. I mean, come on, man. (laughs) I just wanted to know how they've stayed afloat for so long. Like, there was one point where there were, like, 
a lot of their chest was above water, and I was just like, they're clearly standing on something, because there's no way that they could tread water this well and make out. This is not real. I'm sorry, I'm trying to bring, like, a level of reality to, like, making out in water, but it was just dumb. The problem is, and as much as we did laugh during this movie, to me it was not fun dumb for most of the movie i mean the movie wasn't winking at it the way say the james foley 50 shades movies used would wink at the lack of plot and the ridiculous dialogue it took itself very very seriously it took itself as seriously as a fanfic and so we we get this scene that we will see repeated throughout the movie where they're in very close proximity they press their noses up against each other there are close-ups of like skin and goosebumps and then they get out of the water and they do it again for some reason when they're not wet. And it just became this the same sequence of shots that we saw over and over again in the movie. And that's the movie for a long time. There's this one part when they're still at the lake and she's like giving him back his T-shirt and he's helping her take it off. And he's like touching her stomach, whatever. And she's just so flustered. And he's like, has no one ever touched you before? And it's. I think everyone in the theater just started just cracked up. No they, one could take it seriously except for this except one, for the one guy. Man who just yelled, shut up. There was this one man in our theater who took the movie so seriously. He was, was feeling things. He was upset that all of us were laughing at this movie. So Hardin and Tessa are not dating because Hardin doesn't date. Uh, but they are hanging out. And then... She gets a call. Her boyfriend comes to visit. Tessa's boyfriend comes to visit. This is the boyfriend who's very judgy about the fact that she's drinking. And oh they God, have I forgot about this part. No chemistry. And so and then they go to a mm-hmm. bonfire. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, And right, at right. the bonfire, um, the townie, the townie is hitting on um, Tessa. Because they're supposed to play a game of suck and blow. Exactly. Which like, what is this? Clueless? Um like, all the references are so dated. These like, kids, these are not... Who plays these games? Like, the real game would be, like, Flip Cup or something. Yes. And so they're playing Suck and Blow, and he, like, blows the card in her face, but in a rude way, and she's like, uh, what? And then Harden gets upset and punches him, and her boyfriend is like, what the fuck? And Harden just storms off. And so then, like, the boyfriend's like, what's going on? And they go back to um, her place, and they're sleeping, but then he, she gets a call in the middle of the night from Landon that, like, apparently uh, Hardin just wilded out at home. So she leaves her boyfriend asleep in her dorm room to go to Landon and Hardin's home to see what's going on. Because, like, she can just speak to him in a way that, like... Well, apparently Hardin was saying her name. Right. And I'm like, in a drunken stupor? In what, what... Was he punching things and just saying, Tessa? What... I want to see the scene that played out. That would have been more interesting. Well, and so then she gets there and Landon is in the kitchen cleaning up this bullshit. And I was like, fuck no. If my like uh, stepbrother were just breaking shit and angry, I'd be like, you know what? You can get in trouble when mom and dad get home. Not on me. I we're n- As Landon has stated before in the movie, we're not friends. Like he and Harden do not like each other. So the fact that like he is cleaning up Harden's uh, mess is bullshit. So anyway... Because Landon's a good kid. Yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, but is he? Why would he call this girl he barely knows to deal with his drunken, violent stepbrother-to-be? Like, that's not Tessa's role. They're basically... Romance. They've just met. he is there for exposition. This is true. He is there to make things happen. So Hardin has been drinking, which is a big deal because... Hardin doesn't doesn't drink. drink. Hardin doesn't drink. So he has a bottle, and he's sitting by the pool, angsting, you know... 
sitting in his feelings and he breaks the bottle for reasons that were unclear, I guess, for the drama of it all. He doesn't really throw it. He just sort of tosses it. Well, because she's like, you've had enough. And she reaches out her hand from the bottle and then he reaches out and then drops it like a fucking asshole. And so then she's like, I'm going to clean this up. And And me and Daniel both are like, what is up with these people cleaning up this boy's mess? This is why he's so messy. Everyone's been cleaning up his life. And then, of course, she cuts herself. Well, I'm like, what a trope. To just like, oh, as I like, I just knew as soon as she like bent down to pick up the glass that there was going to be a moment. And of course there was. And so then he's like, oh, my God, now you're hurt. I have to take care of you. So they go inside and they end up like sleeping together, though. I don't know if they actually had sex. No, they They did not. They they just slept together in the physical. Right. So she fell asleep, wakes up and has like seven or eight like missed calls from her boyfriend who is asleep in her dorm room. And so she goes back to be outside of the parking lot and uh, is like being confronted by her boyfriend like hey where you where were you what happened and she just says like uh i mean i i, I had to go help a friend i had to go help a friend and, and then, then harden walks up like a fucking idiot no harden does not walk up harden is just suddenly there <laughs> the laws of physics do not apply to this movie and this is another twilight ripoff because Harden just appears places yeah. with no, like we saw her physically. She bikes bike over get, from the place to her dorm. But and then Harden's just there. Just appears like a vampire, mm-hmm. except there are no vampires in this movie because there's no outside plot. <laughs> and so then she breaks up with her high school, well, her high school boyfriend dumps her. And then she tells Harden to go away. She goes and cuddles with her roommate and's like, I just broke up with my boyfriend. I'm so sad. Then her mom starts calling her as like, what happened? Because her mom and her high school boyfriend are apparently besties. And she's like, how dare you break up with this boy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so he tells her mom, her high school boyfriend tells her mom that they've broken up. And her mom decides to show up. And this is at a moment in which Tessa and Harden are theoretically about to get it on. And she's wearing his fucking Ramones t-shirt. Stuff's happening. They're in bed. They're in bed. Her mom barges into her dorm room i don't know why the door is open and she's like this is the boy you lo- what is what is the high school boyfriend's name noah this Who's is to say really <laughs> she's like this is the boy you left noah for like what are you doing get out of here kid and so tessa's like mom calm down we're gonna leave what it's fine and so they leave her mom is like, if you don't break up with this boy immediately, I'm going to cut you off. And Tessa's like, I'm sorry that my father left you, but it's not my responsibility to live my life for you so I don't make the same mistakes as you. She literally says, I'm sorry that your life didn't work out the way you wanted, which is like the meanest thing to say to any person, let alone your parent. Like that is just cruel. This movie also is very confused about Tessa's backstory, yes. with, and especially her relationship with her mom, because at this point, she's yelling at her mom for trying to control her life and make it perfect. Later in the movie, she says that her mom fell apart, and she, Tessa, had to sort of be the mom and take care of them, and that's how, you know, her, her boyfriend Noah helped them. I mean, pick one movie. <laughs> you can't have both backstories. It doesn't work that way. That's how it works in Afterworld. So her mom cuts her off after this quite literally one instance of discretion. Like, that is the, like, she's just like, no, you're cut off. And so then Harden somehow manages to swoop in and find housing for Tessa because Tessa's going to lose her college housing, but not 
get kicked out of school that was somehow. so confusing and so i'm assuming that you know if this is a realm of possibility tessa's financial aid covers her tuition but not her room and board which does happen so they basically tessa and harden move in together into this professor's apartment that he's plant sitting for for a year and they're doing their lovey-dovey bullshit living together everything seems smooth and then this one girl who's just basically there to lurk in the background that's molly molly molly's the lurker yeah she just makes eyes at harden and is insinuating that at some point they were together but they're not really anymore and so she's like blowing up harden's phone and she's like are you gonna tell her and Tessa's like tell me what and harden's like it's no big deal calm down i'm gonna go out do you trust me yeah and she's like of course i trust you obviously does not and so then she some thing happens then okay, so what the happens county. next is extremely strange which is just just take that sentence and apply it to the entire movie <laughs> so tessa sees these messages and harden says trust me and obviously she should not because something shady is happening but an inkling of plot is happening so it's good for the audience <laughs> so jace who is this townie who his how he knows all of these college students and why, and why he has number nothing else to do is not explained he says, maybe I know where Harden is. And then they meet in Harden's car mm-hmm. for a scene that adds no value to anything. It's like a scavenger hunt they're sending her on. Like, first, you must sit with Jason in the car and then you must go into the bar. I, when this scene ended, I was really upset at its inclusion. It added nothing to the movie. I, what was happening in this scene? They literally sit in the car and Jay says, well, maybe I know where Harden is. Maybe he's inside. Maybe he picks her up because the thing is, she's walking around this town, which is theoretically not that walkable. And she ends up at this bar with Jace. And so I think maybe he picks her up in Harden's car. I don't think that's what happened because we see her get into it. Right. I'm trying to make it make sense. You're trying harder than the screenwriters. So <laughs> so anyway, so we she gets to the bar where she finds Molly and Steph and Jace and the other guy whose name I can never remember with the black hair. Um, all hang, I think it's like Zeke or something. He was Zane um, in the Zane. original fanfic. Oh. oh, that makes a lot more sense. So they're all hanging out at this bar and she walks up and they're all like, oh, this is uncomfortable. What's going on? And so then she's like, uh, hey, why, where's Harden? What's going on? Why is this? Why is everyone acting so weird? She's like, what's going on? So Harden walks up and he's like, oh, what are you what are you doing here? And clearly there's tension. Something's going on. And so then Molly's like, are you going to tell her? Are you going to tell her? Tell me what? Tell me what? And the assumption is that Molly and Harden are cheating. Yes. But then it turns out it's even worse. So she pulls out her phone and shows a video to Tessa, a video that we only now realize was taken earlier in the movie when they were playing Truth or Dare. And so Tessa storms off and is not going to engage in Truth or Dare. So then Hardin thinks to himself, you know what a real Truth or Dare is? I'm, I dare myself to make her fall in love with me. And then and I'm going to turn it off. Which is a desire reference, is transactional. Which is a reference to what he said in the movie, in the lecture hall. He also, just openly stated it. He just dared himself to do this? Like, no what? one asked for this. No, he he wanted to do it himself. It's like a bad version of She's All That, where it's like, I bet I can turn this girl into like a hot popular girl. But like, there is no benefit except for him proving a point, 
which is really a shitty thing to do. And so then she finds out and she breaks down and she is like, I didn't realize this is the type of person you were. Everything was a lie. No, not everything was a lie. After I got to know you, I really loved you. No, it was all a lie. Like that typical conversation that happens in every like. They go outside to have this fight specifically in the rain, which was a nice touch. (laughs) It was pouring rain. It was not a cute rain at all. It's interesting because earlier in the movie, they had one of those absurdist conversations where they weren't really talking to each other. They were talking at each other. And Hardin says, I don't deserve you. And Tessa says, nothing you ever do could possibly change my feelings about you, which is not appropriate response to that. But the point is, (laughs) they have a, a different version of the same conversation outside after she learns the truth where he says, you said nothing I do could ever change how you feel about me and she says well i guess we're both liars then <laughs> and i was like "Ooh, somebody somebody finally got the knack for dialogue really late <laughs> in the game e- even a broken clock is right twice a day um so then she gets on a greyhound to, to go back home to wherever she's from and just knocks on her mom's front door and is like hey mom i'm home and- i know you disowned me over a single incident but i'm here for comfort which works out fine. And we should also note that the mom is played by Selma Blair, picking up that paycheck. I love Selma Blair. Justice for Selma. Um, In the meantime, though, we have learned a little bit more about Hardin and why he is the way he is, for lack of a better explanation, which we, we see his dad at the wedding getting married to Landon's mom, uh, Jennifer Beals. (laughs) So during this part of the movie, I very audibly said, what the fuck? Because Landon is black. His mother, if you look at her, is extremely white passing. And so Marissa told me today that his mom is half black, which makes things make more sense. But it, it very much falls in line with every single trope of let's we're fine with having like a darker skinned black man. But this woman must be light skinned or white passing. And so we find out at this wedding that the reason Hardin is messed up is that his father was a drunk growing up, which, you know, that oh is... Oh my God, this part is... This part is wild. <sighs> which, you know, that's enough. That's honestly enough of a backstory right there. Like, growing up with an alcoholic as a father is stressful enough. The as alcoholic is. is Peter Gallagher also picking up a paycheck. And so, but that's not enough that's, for this movie. No, of course not. And so you find out, basically, that at some point his father lost a game, some kind of bet to some men at a bar... And when they came to collect on their bet to Harden's house, his dad was at a pub. His dad was out drinking again. And so instead they find his mom. And so he says that like he tried to fight them off. And the assumption is that she was sexually assaulted. And he's like... This by a group of men. By a group of men. And so... And then that is... Like, he's like, you should see, like, the way my mom lives in London. Like, he's out here living it up big as a chancellor of this school. And my mom is, like, in London, I'm assuming, like, destitute. And so it is so clearly one, it is the worst trope that happens in fanfic and in fiction in general, which is that you make a man complicated by having a woman be sexually assaulted. And it is this faceless woman that you literally never meet. And that is Harden's complicated backstory, is that his mother was sexually assaulted. Another which, uh, theft from Fifty Shades. Yeah. True. This is also true. And it's just like, it's it, it was so, like, that came and we were all just like, are you fucking kidding me? This movie is full of 
nonsense. And then you drop this random heavy note in the movie that just does not fit in anywhere else and never comes up again. And so Harden's complicated backstory is why he is um, doesn't believe in love or thinks it's a transaction because of this thing that happened to his mother in front of him. And so... She goes back to her mom and they have like a loving reunion and then she goes out to the high school where her boy, her ex-boyfriend is running track and they have a reunion too and then she gets on a bus back to school which I don't understand why her mom did not drive her back to school but whatever. That was dumb. And so it's basically the end of the year at this point. But uh, that's another thing is like what is the timeline of this movie? Uh, well, wait, like- wait, wait. Excuse me. The most important part of the movie we're about to discuss which is the ending and it establishes that we are at the end of the school year because they have all submitted their final papers. But yes. like, what is the actual timeline? Because a it year. seems like, right. No, I get that. But at the same time, like you said earlier, like I don't know if it was two weeks or three days. There is never a solid timeline of like when anything is happening. We never see like a Christmas go by. Yeah, we never see the like seasons don't they, change. They don't because they clearly filmed this in like three weeks at my college, and so they just kind of like kept it all the same. But that doesn't make any sense to me but then yeah we jump to the end and he's in his uh and she is in her um final class i was okay with the sense of timelessness because i there's there's no accounting for a lot of the things that happen and it almost feels better to me that they happened over a whole year rather than in a short span of time because they were so extreme and ridiculous um for example we skipped a pretty major plot point the book after was somewhat controversial because it's very graphic sexually the movie, really? yes, uh, the movie has sort of that same scene that we talked about where they're nuzzling and there's some skin. Uh, but eventually, Tessa does have sex with Harden. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I forgot about that. Listen, it's no love in basketball, but it is a very important moment in the movie. And of course, it's before we learn that Harden was tricking her into falling in love with him. And I actually wish that the reveal had been Harden daring himself to take Tessa's virginity because I think that would have been more interesting in terms of like the relationship between love and sex rather than faking falling in love with her which is a totally different thing Um, but just something worth noting well and the interesting part about the sex scene is that um, he puts a condom on which is great and a lot of sex scenes don't do that no shout out to the movie for actually including that bit yeah that was very exciting because like that's not something that comes through it like there's never any explicit use of sexual protection in a lot of teen movies and so especially with nowadays like I mean I had terrible sex education as a kid Marissa had to watch a terrible movie I watched She's Too Young I watched The Miracle of Life we had a a man with HIV come in and talk to us about the difficulty of having HIV. Um, welcome to Georgia. And so if she had an education like that, then like clearly it's very useful to have a movie that says like, hey, you should practice safe sex. And and that was maybe like the best thing in the movie, honestly, um, in a weird way. But so they they have sex and everything's fine and they're still happy. So back to the end of the movie. So, right. So we Oh my god. <laughs> Tessa does not want anything to do with Harden as she definitely shouldn't. She's reconciled with her mom. She is sitting in English class with the worst professor of all time who is handing back their final papers and she calls Tessa over and she says, "This is Harden's final paper, but I think it was meant for you. Listen. This is clearly an ethical <laughs> breach." And then we actually he, Also, he would fail. 
right, he failed college, basically, so that he could write a love note to Tessa and give it to his English teacher with no guarantee that she was going to pass it on to Tessa. With, like, a creepy photo of her that he had taken somehow and, like, a photo of the doc. Basically, the gist is that he didn't believe in love, but now he believes in love because Tessa made him believe in love. Could just slip her a note, man. Why did you hand that in as a paper? Give it to Steph, the roommate. Bizarrely, Steph, who turned out to be in on the fact that Hardin was tricking Tessa this whole time, which really disappointed me because I I would have liked Tessa to have one female friend in the movie. That's another story. Also, like Tessa, if she is a queer woman at this college, she's not hanging out with all these straight dudes. But anyway, just saying it. the, The movie ends with... Tessa reading this note and she goes to the special place. How? To meet Harden. Yes. How does she get there? The laws of physics don't apply to this movie. (laughs) She's a vampire now. But I thought this could, the whole movie could have been saved if it had ended differently. And maybe that was naive of me because there are a bunch of sequels and clearly she was going to end up with Harden. But the movie opens with this very brief voiceover where Tessa talks about how there was her life before Hardin and her life after. And so it kind of seemed like this was a year of sexual awakening and coming into her own and self-discovery. And then the guy turned out to be a dirtbag and she moved on and was stronger. And maybe she got with Landon because he was cute. Instead, the movie ends with her back with Hardin, which I just don't understand like what was in it for her? He clearly learned to love through her, but I just, I just, I, I don't understand that choice. She had sex with him. Beyond that, it yeah. was a romance and it was inevitable. Well, I, okay, so I think this would have been a better movie if there had truly been after, because it's not after Harden, because the well, implication is that she's getting back with Harden. There are a lot of things that would have made this a better movie, including that. But I think they were leaving an opening for what I'm assuming is some other dramatic breakup in the sequel. Like, there's no way... There are four of these books. This is based off of the first one. So there's no way they go through the next three books in, like, wedded bliss or some nonsense. Like, some dramaticness drama has to happen. Some dramaticness. Some dramaticness drama has to happen in the next three books. I'm assuming is why they had... Because the thing is, they don't really... Like, you're you're assuming they're getting back together because she, sit she sits next to him, like, on the dock. But they don't say anything at the end of the movie. So, who knows? Maybe she pushes him in. Ooh, maybe she drowns him. Maybe oh. she becomes the serial killer and she kills him and the townie. I'm going to go right after fan fiction. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to watch that movie. Oh, We're, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want Tessa to become a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's the movie. We... Talked about as much of the plot as we possibly could. But I really, I've been looking at this Wikipedia page this entire time. And I really, did you guys know what the main, the lead's full name is besides Hero? His name is Hero Beauregard Faulkner Finds Tiffin. I have to leave. (laughs) That's unacceptable. Beauregard Faulkner. And on that note... Thanks, Rachel. No problem, Marissa. Thanks, Daniel. Anytime. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast feed. And if you like the show, rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Hewitt, and our engineer is Merritt Jacob.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.